Hi everyone, this is Allison. And this is Courtney. And you are listening to Murder Porn. Pew, pew, pew. Oh. <laughs> We're back together. Kind of. <laughs> All right, well, it's been a long time coming since we have recorded together. And we are together but separate today. So we're recording at the same time. But she's in her house about an hour away from my house where I am. Yeah, I uh, I started, so people wondering, I started a new job and I work night shift and um, I worked last night and then I came home and slept like a total of maybe a couple of hours and then my husband woke me up and told me he had a fever. He's acting fine right now, but I was going to say, yeah, he's fever. not acting like he has a fever anymore, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> So that dashed our plans of recording together. Yeah. So hopefully we'll be together again next week. Yeah. And this won't be the last time that, like, your family gets sick or that I get sick. It just happens, especially when you've got small kids in daycare. Like, they just bring the crud. Yeah, because they now are in daycare because they were never in daycare before. They were, like, I was stay-at-home for like two years so and they had been with family prior to like me being stay at home so they're now being introduced to all the buggies that they can possibly be introduced Yay. to so they're just bringing it all home like I had I worked the last three day, nights in a row and I had a cold too so yeah yay COVID babies who've never been exposed to anything ever except for COVID <laughs> yeah basically <laughs> so it's been interesting for sure. Yeah. So we'll get um, through it though. Yeah. So today we are recording the first of our Halloween episodes, which we're gonna kinda scatter about between now and Halloween. And maybe yep. a little after because it's my favorite. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Halloween is definitely my favorite. I'm I've been excited about doing Halloween episodes since like what spring we were talking about this like I was already like we should figure out what we're doing for Halloween (laughs) yeah yeah definitely I'm excited about it it's definitely my favorite like I don't I decorate the front of my house and the inside of my house like crazy I've actually been debating on whether or not to do the inside this year because I've been so just like under the weather and tired um yeah but I mean kind of my thing so I can't see me not doing it I'm always the Beetlejuice house everything's Beetlejuice 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 that's fun though mm-hmm. yeah because you have the big Beetlejuice in the basement that like scares us every time yeah. we like go he's down six there feet tall. he's a six foot tall animatronic that's yeah I that's I guess I never realized how tall it was yeah he's a whole ass human <laughs> he is <laughs> he's terrifying every time you come down the stairs and turn the corner yeah. and he's there and he freaks me out without fail every single time. Yeah. <laughs> and then she's always like the first one to go down. So then she gets freaked out. And then I remember that <laughs> I slightly jump. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm prepped for it. But yeah, that's <laughs> Welcome funny. to my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get on with the show, I guess. Yes. And we can chit chat more at the end. 
but I'm really excited yeah. to tell this story. Um, this episode is a little known tale, or maybe a little more well known, and you just don't know that you know a story. Hint, hint. <laughs> it's called The Sawyer Family Murders. All right, you ready for this, Court? Yeah. Anyway, so this is the Sawyer family murders. Okay. All right. So it was approaching noon on August 4th, 1974, when a blue Chevrolet pickup truck sped up to the emergency doors at the St. David's Medical Center in Austin, Texas. A young blonde man with a shaggy haircut jumped from the front seat and ran to the bed of the pickup truck, all while yelling for help. There was an ambulance parked in front of him, and the EMS attendants ran over to see what they could do to help. As they approached and the young man opened the gate of his truck, they saw a woman laying there, her long dishwater blonde hair stained red and brown with blood. She was barely conscious. They rushed her to emergency, where she was attended to by doctors. She had a severe concussion, required staples in her head, and had cuts, scrapes, bruises, and slash marks covering her body. The fact that she fell unconscious the moment they took her back to the OR to clean her up was probably a blessing. She was moved up to a private room once done and given police attendants to guard her until she could awake and tell them what happened to her. The story she had to tell would rock the residents of Williamson County, Texas, for the foreseeable future. (laughs) Evil laugh. (laughs) (laughs) all right on august 6th so two days later when the girl finally was awake and like lucid enough to speak the williamson county sheriff lou schwartz was by her side to hear her story and his entire precinct was ready to take action all they knew at this point was that the man with the blue chevy pickup truck was driving down county road 101 when he saw her in the middle of the street yelling for help, clearly running from something or someone and covered in blood. He slowed down enough so that she could jump into the bed of his truck and took off as fast as he could to get out of there. He didn't know what was chasing her, but by the looks of her, he wanted nothing to do with it. His name was David Turner and he was a hero. The girl's name, it turns out, was Sally Hardesty. She was 19. She still lived at home with her parents so she could help take care of her brother, Franklin, who was wheelchair bound and um, on the spectrum. It had been all over the news that someone had vandalized a small cemetery in her dad's hometown of La Frontera. It was reported that the graves had been robbed of all or parts of the deceased's remains and damage had been done throughout the graveyard. Sally told her father that she would make the two-and-a-half-hour trek from her hometown near Dallas to her dad's childhood home in La Frontera so that she could check on her grandfather's gravestone and the house and property he had left to her father. Sally didn't want to make the trip alone, not that she had much of a choice since her brother insisted on going everywhere she did. So she rounded up three of her friends, and they all piled into their green Ford Econoline for a road trip. The van had been modified so that there were no seats in the back. This was this way they could just use a couple wood planks to roll Franklin in and out of the back in his wheelchair. 
her boyfriend Jerry and their two friends Pam and Kirk, who were also dating, all volunteered to take the trip with her. Back then, there wasn't as much to keep them occupied as there is today, and staying in the house during the summer was rarely an option. So the road trip seemed like a fun way to waste a summer day. La Frontera used to be a thriving industrial town centered on a huge slaughterhouse where Sally and Franklin's grandfather was a bigwig. A few years after their grandfather retired, the slaughterhouse was shuttered. The town then began to dwindle and the properties fell into disrepair. There were very few residents at this point. The kids took off from the Hardesty house around 8.30 a.m. on Thursday, August 3rd. It was a hot summer day in Texas, with temperatures pushing 100. They drove straight through. About 10 miles from the cemetery, they noticed a young man with a limp walking along the road. And there was really nothing in the sight that could possibly be his destination. In the 70s, it was not uncommon to hitchhike or to pick up a hitchhiker. All five of the kids in the car argued about whether or not to pick the kid up. He looked to be around their age and to be potentially disabled in some capacity. They felt bad for him, and ultimately Jerry pulled the van over and they allowed the kid to hop in. He said he was headed home from the slaughterhouse. The kid looked to be in his early 20s with dark, short hair and tanned skin. He had a large port wine stained birthmark on his right cheek. He was dirty. He was wearing jeans and a t-shirt and carrying a large rummage sack. He also had a small satchel around his neck that was made out of some kind of animal fur and an old camera hanging next to it. I'm sorry, the moment he told me that he was coming from the slaughterhouse that had been closed for like a decade, I'd been like, um, bye, get out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) No, thank you. You can uh, can just see your way out. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So at first he did seem very odd, but still harmless. He introduced himself as Nubbins, nice name kid. And the kids all went around and introduced themselves to him. Franklin was facing the hitchhiker in the back of the van. Pam and Kirk also turned to face him from the front corner behind the passenger seat. Um, Soon the hitchhiker started to talk about the town, the slaughterhouse, and his family. He explained that he never worked at the slaughterhouse, but that his two brothers did. He went on to tell them that his brother Drayton was the best cook for miles, and then began to describe the putrid process of making something he called head cheese it grossed everyone out and they begged him to stop and things only got worse from there and honestly i don't know what could be worse than head cheese because basically it's like boiling a pig's head and scraping like the lard off of it and eating that yeah i was about to say isn't there something actually called head cheese because yeah it's a whole thing it's a real thing it's gross disgusting i'd be like nobody that eats that and thinks it's delicious is allowed in my vehicle get out by (laughs) there's like a hundred reasons i would have kicked this fucking kid out of my house (laughs) yeah or out of my car i mean okay he's just a walking like red flag he is he is (laughs) franklin had been playing with a small pocket knife for most of the trip and nubbins noticed it and asked to see it um, begrudgingly, Franklin handed it over, and shortly after taking the knife and examining it, he looked Franklin dead in the eyes as he slashed his own hand open with this dull-ass knife. He laughed <gasps> hysterically 
and then gave the knife back to Franklin. Everyone oh. in the van was freaked out. He then reached I would into, be too. Yeah. He then reached into his fur pouch around his neck and extracted a switchblade knife of his own. He showed it off to nope. them with an excitement that left them all on the edge of their seats. He then put the knife away and started opening up the old camera on his neck. You Mostly again. everyone was relieved that he put the fucking knife away. <laughs> but like, here we are, wild swings of like, I'm going to cut you with a fucking knife and um, let me take your picture. <laughs> oh my gosh. No. Yeah. Um so he he started opening up the old camera on his neck. It was like an OG Polaroid camera. Like there's a name for these. I don't know what they're called. Um but he pointed it at Franklin and he snapped a photo. He then turned the camera around and opened the back up to remove the blank. He shook it and then he took this like film covering off of it and then he showed it to Franklin who said it was a blurry shitty picture basically. Um, Nubbins then tried to make Franklin pay $2 for the blurry, shitty f- picture that he took without anyone's permission. <laughs> mm. When Franklin and the others obviously refused to pay him, Nubbins then pulled out a vial of black powder from his pouch, and everyone kind of was, like, watching him, like, wondering what the hell he was doing. He laid the photo on the floor of the van, sprinkled the black powder on top of it, and then before anyone could react, the hitchhiker pulled out a box of matches, lit one, and dropped it onto the black powder and the photo. It was fucking gunpowder. <laughs> fucking oh gunpowder. Yeah, yeah, you said black powder, and I was like, oh, I know where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the photo went up in flames. Jerry swerved and slammed on the brake. Everyone was trying to stamp out the fire. Once they were satisfied it was out, they swiftly booted the kid out of their vehicle and sped off with a screech, which, thank fucking God, like, you should have never even picked this guy up in the first place, for real. Um, This crazy-ass hitchhiker tried to run after them, but all he managed to do was smear his bloody hand all down the side of their van. So now he's, like, gross. He lit them on fire, and he got blood everywhere. Nice. Real nice. (laughs) (laughs) that got you nowhere (laughs) shaken and speechless the kids pulled up to the cemetery within 10 minutes from kicking that kid out sally got out of the vehicle while the others waited they examined the nasty blood smears and the burn mark while sally went to see her her grandfather's grave had been affected by the grave robbers the cemetery was busy there were tons of news reporters there as well as other family members of the interred checking to see if their own loved ones graves had been damaged surprisingly sally was able to find her way to a sheriff's deputy who was there trying to keep it all organized and within 10 minutes they were able to locate her grandfather's grave and determine that it had not been damaged in any way sally gave a sigh of relief and made her way back to the van and her friends the van was running low on gas so that was their next stop sally and franklin didn't want the entire two and a half hour trip and enduring that creep of the hitchhiker to be for only a 10-minute task. Their dad owns their grandfather's old home that is right there in town, and they wanted to go check it out. They hadn't been there since they were small children, and they wanted to see if it was just like they remembered. Sally described it as a picturesque old farmhouse with a wraparound porch on acres of property with a huge pond that they used to swim in. 
when they visited for the whole summer. The house had been vacant for a little over a decade at this point, so Sally also feared that it would be a sad trip seeing her memories covered in dust and cobwebs. The other kids agreed that the swim would be nice and that it would be nice to see this like fairy tale house that Sally and Franklin love so much. Um, the first stop, however, would have to be a gas station, and there was only one in town, and it was the only one that they had seen since Austin, so that is where they headed. As they pulled up to the service station, it was just as rickety as the rest of the town, but it had the pleasant aroma of barbecue, which made Sally's stomach grumble. Sally noticed the name on the sign was the Last Chance Service Station. She laughed a bit to herself as it was very clever. Within 30 seconds of pulling up to the pump, two men came out to greet them, one with a bucket to wash their windshield and the front of the vehicle, because traveling through Texas country in the middle of summer tends to get your vehicle a nice coating of bug splatter. The other man came up to the driver's side window, and Kirk asked for a fill-up. The man seemed very kind. He apologized, and he said that his tank was empty due to the unforeseen influx of traffic. Um, for the cemetery debacle. He said that the tanker isn't due to fill him up until later that afternoon or evening, or maybe even the next day. He offered them to stay a while and have some barbecue. The girls went inside for some snacks, and Kirk and Jerry stayed to talk with the attendant. They told him where they were going, and Franklin piped up from inside the van that his dad owns the place. Um, The attendant told him that it was falling apart and dangerous and pleaded with them to wait there for the tanker to fill fill his pump. The girls came out. They spoke with the boys. They made a decision that would wreck their lives forever. Instead of waiting on the gas station for the pump to be refilled, they're going to go to the old house and wait it out there. While in the gas station, Sally had bought a couple sausages and gave one to Franklin and one to Kirk for them to snack on. Um, the property was a bit hard to find since the mailbox was hidden by overgrown plants, but they did eventually find it. Um, the van creeped down the excessively long driveway and the old farmhouse came into view. It was not at all what Sally had expected. It wasn't just run down or unkempt. It was literally falling apart. They parked the van and Sally, Jerry, Kirk, and Pam all rushed into the house forgetting Franklin sitting in his wheelchair by the van. Um, there's also steps to get up onto the porch, so there was no way for him to, like, get into the house alone. So he basically sat there and threw a temper tantrum about being left behind. You know, like I said, he wasn't, um, he was a, a little bit, um, intellectually disabled. So, you know, he didn't really know how to handle his feelings, essentially. Inside the house, the four friends explored as Sally told them about memories of her grandmother cooking them pies in the kitchen and of the zoo animals on her walls. The zebra was her favorite. You could still faintly see the animal wallpaper in her old bedroom. Uh, Pam and Kirk then snuck off to be alone (laughs) as Sally kept looking around with Jerry. (laughs) Oh, I wonder what they're doing. Right? (laughs) Not, no, not in a old, decrepit house. Um, Pam and Kirk snuck off to be alone. Soon Pam and Kirk um, at, came back and they asked which way the, to the pond as they wanted to go for a swim and cool off in the heat. Sally pointed them in the direction and they headed off. After a while, Sally got bored of looking around and it was getting late in the day, so they wanted to get back to the gas station and on the road ASAP. 
Jerry took off toward the pond to get Pam and Kirk, who hadn't come back yet. Sally stayed back and waited with her brother. What happened next is really only a blur, she told the sheriff. He prodded her to do her best to remember and to take her time telling him what happened. So Sally took a deep breath and continued her story. She said that she and Franklin waited and waited by the van for Kirk, Jerry, and Pam to come back from the pond. And eventually it got completely dark. And I don't know if anybody here or listening has been in the country when it's dark, but dark is fucking pitch ass black there. Like you can't see 10 feet in front of you. Exactly. There's not street lights. There's not glare from the city lights. There's nothing. Like you cannot see shit except for the stars above you. That's it. <clears throat> yeah. She and Franklin began screaming their names. She was worried they stayed too long and could navigate their way back to the van in the dark. So, like, imagine trying to navigate your way, like, even through your own bedroom in the dark without a flashlight on your cell phone. Because <laughs> that's uh, yeah, what that I always so use. Scary. Yeah. So yeah. Sally then rummaged through the van. She found the emergency kit that her dad insisted that they have in every vehicle. She thanked him for his nagging responsibility in that moment. The kit had a flashlight in it, and the flashlight worked. She was so excited, (laughs) so relieved. So she flipped it on, and she returned to Franklin's side outside the van and resumed yelling the names of her friends in hopes that the flashlight and her voice would guide them back. But she still didn't hear them, like, replying. Hmm. In between names, she stopped to listen. She heard nothing but crickets in the silent night. She was really worried at this point. Um, She told Franklin to wait by the van, and she went to go look for her friends. Franklin got pissed at the idea of sitting alone in the dark by their van in an unknown place, and they began to fight over the flashlight like siblings do. At one point, Sally and Franklin then, like, began searching for the keys to maybe drive the van down closer and realized that Jerry must have put the keys in his pocket when they got out of the van when they first got there. So that sucks that they don't even have the keys to their own van at this point, and their friends aren't coming back. Oh, my God. So uh, Franklin yelled at Sally to take him with her, and Sally yelled at Franklin that pushing his wheelchair through the overgrown field would be impossible. Like siblings do, they argue often. Eventually, getting exhausted and remaining worried about her friends, Sally gave in and began, like, pushing, or heaving, rather, her brother through the field towards the pond. When they got there, her friends were nowhere in sight, but she noticed that the sound of crickets and frogs in the pond was being drowned out by the loud sound of, like, a motor running at this point. So she turned around and around in trying to determine where the sound was coming from, and she could see a house lit up in the distance. So she figured that maybe they went there to, like, see if they could, if they had gas there or something. Or maybe they went there because they were lost and it had a light on and it was just easy to get to it. Um, So she kept on pushing her brother through those damn fucking fields. Like, imagine pushing a wheelchair through overgrown, like, thicket and brush and grass. That would be so hard. Yeah, that would be, that would near impossible she has to be pretty fucking strong i'd be so tired i'd have literally just left his ass in the middle of the field (laughs) (laughs) like oh well you can't come after me anyway right (laughs) so yeah so she kept pushing him through the fields towards the lights and the sounds and shining the flashlight and she's still calling her friends names 
She said that at this point, out of nowhere, in the darkness, a huge man with a weird leather-like mask on appeared wielding a chainsaw. And before no. Sheila Franklin had any time to react, the leather-faced man slammed the chainsaw down on Franklin's head and sliced through him like a fucking stick of butter. So, oh my god! out of nowhere, could you imagine this? In the complete no. darkness in like a field that they don't know and they don't know where they're at and they're already missing their friends. Sally started screaming and crying uncontrollably at this point in her story. She was shaking and the monitor she was hooked to showed that her heart was racing. She tried to explain through tears and gasps that there was literally nothing she could do for her brother at this point. There was no way he survived that attack. And then through more sobbing that she left him there. She had to run or she was next. So Sally runs towards the sound of the motor and the lit up house, cutting herself on thistle and brambles as she runs through the runs through this overgrown field. And finally, she reaches this old house and she's a bit relieved when she reaches it, thinking that they will let her in and her friends were going to be there and they could call the police and she was going to be fine. Um, so she's beating on the front door and yelling for someone to let her in, and there's no response. And she can hear that chainsaw getting closer to her. So she leaps Ugh. off the front porch and ran, runs around to the back of the house. And there's another door, fortunately. Like, most houses have, like, a front and a back door. Mm-hmm. Um, she started to bang on it, but it just opened at the first touch of her fists. So she let herself in, and she slammed the door shut, and she locked it behind her. She leaned her back against the door, and she's trying to catch her breath in the process, and process, like, what is going on? And then Mm -hmm. she didn't have much time, though, because leaning against, um, she didn't have much time, though, because before she knew it, that leather-faced man, that man with the mask, was cutting through the door she was leaning against with his fucking chainsaw. So, like, in a reaction of pure fear, she ran through the kitchen, then the dining room, into the front hallway, and up the stairs, like, literally just trying to navigate herself through this, like, weird house. She ran into a room at the far end of the hall. She slammed the door shut. She runs down into the corner, and she, like, crouches down in the darkness. And she said she's, like, trying to catch her breath and, like, stay quiet at the same time. And at the same time she's doing that, she's, like, looking around at her surroundings. And she realizes that the room she was in was, like, organized as a small sitting room. And the furniture she bumped into like, as she was running to the corner to hide were, like, rocking chairs. And the rocking chairs um, in them or on them were what appeared to be mummified remains of two old women. Just, like, chilling there in the sitting room together. Yes! <laughs> she couldn't like help the, but scream upon like that room. game shit. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, some fucking Norman Bates shit. Bates Hotel. <laughs> Psycho! Yeah. So she couldn't help but scream upon the realization, uh, upon that realization. And... reactively like got up from that and ran from that room to another room on this other side of the hallway and flung open the door she said the rust is very hazy as she looked around at the contents of that room she saw furniture and mobiles and trinkets all that appeared to be remains or made from human bones they were there were crates full of skulls human skulls and jars full of human teeth she said it fucking smelled in there. Like, it reeked. It's like nothing she ever smelled before. 
She said before she could turn around and run into another direction, she was hit in the back of the head hard, and she passed out. So that probably explained, like, why her hair was so bloody, because she had been bleeding from the fucking head. And I don't know if anybody here has ever had a head wound, but even just, like, a small little cut on your head bleeds, like, fucking crazy. Yeah, it does. It bleeds like a bitch. Yeah. So when she woke up... like, slammed his head against, like, the bed one time, like, the bottom of the bed, trying to get something out, and he, like, called me, like, while I was at work, and he was like, do I need to get stitches? And I'm like, no, you're fine. It's probably just (laughs) superficial. It just just bleeds, like, crazy. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't need stitches. Medical super glue is a great thing to have around the house. I should get that. That's a good idea. Especially with your little ones. Yeah. Um, (laughs) When she woke up, she was tied to a chair, sitting at the dining room table. She was in pain. Mm -hmm. Her head hurt. Her muscles were sore. She had a pounding headache, and her vision was blurry. As she blinked her eyes to get them to adjust, she realized there were four other people sitting at the table with her. The gas station attendant. Yeah. The gas station attendant, the hitchhiker, the man wearing the leather mask, and a very, very old man in a wheelchair that looked like he was literally decomposing. Like, this man looked like he had been dead for a while. But apparently he was still alive. He moved a little bit. But he was sitting mostly still, like, slumped over in his chair while the other three ate barbecue. When the men at the table noticed that she was awake, they all stopped eating and looked right at her. The hitchhiker, Nubbins, spoke up. He said, pointing around the table, I think you've met my brothers, pointing to the gas station attendant. That's Drayton, the best cook around, and then pointing to the leather-faced man. And that's my brother, Bubba. You'll have to forgive his mask. (laughs) Yeah. You'll have to forget his mask at the dinner table. He's a bit shy. That over there, pointing to the old corpse-like man, is Grandpa. The hitchhiker and the cook then got up and went over to the grandfather, and they began taunting him, saying things like, Bubba got the other four. It's your turn to have some fun, Grandpa. The other four, Sally assumed they were talking about her friends and her brother. Um... At this point, she was terrified. She was still woozy. She didn't really completely understand what was going on, but they grabbed her by the back of the head and they pushed her off of her wheelchair, of her, off of her chair. The, the man with the leather mask got up and he wheeled the grandfather closer. He began trying to put a sledgehammer into the grandfather's hand while the others held Sally's head over a bucket. The grandfather oh, no. kept dropping the hammer like he was too weak to even hold the sledgehammer. But the boys kept picking it up and trying again for him to hold it, and finally he hit her in the back of the head, hard enough to make her bleed, but not to knock her out again. So now that's two head wounds that she's got for being beaten the fucking head. So I don't know how this bitch is still, like, alive at this point. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Sally noticed that when they pushed her to the ground, the ties on her hands had come loose. Um, And as she was, like, being held over the bucket, she got herself free. And then when she got the opportunity, she said she got up and she ran as fast as she could toward the front door and out onto the porch, down the steps and up the lawn. And it didn't take her long to hear the man with the leather face mask chasing her with the chainsaw. 
again. Yeah, so she's fucking terrified at this point. She has nowhere to go. She just kept running through the brush and bristle and thorns. She could feel that it was cutting her and that she was bleeding, but she kept going. It is daylight at this point, by the way. So she was in that house overnight, and they, like, kept her alive just to fuck with her in the morning when she woke up. Oh, my God. Yeah, so she's, like, limping. She's half dragging herself. She made her way to the street, and she starts screaming and running down the street, or or went limping down the street, really. She's, like, hopping. Um, mm-hmm. The crazed man was not far behind her. A man in a red semi saw her covered in blood and screaming for help, and he slams on his brakes to help her. Sally immediately runs up to the driver door. She climbs up the steps, and she tries to crawl in over the driver out of pure fear. The driver had other plans, though. He grabbed a bat that he had in his truck at all times, and he jumped from the vehicle, walking toward the crazy man with the chainsaw. Um, where was I? He was walking towards the man with the chainsaw. yeah. So he grabbed the bat, and he started walking towards the man with the chainsaw. Um, The leather-faced man um, wasted no time at all in attacking the truck driver with the chainsaw. But the truck driver, while giving chase, was somehow able to make contact with Leatherface's head and then his knees with the bat. And Leatherface tripped, and the, um, and the truck driver, petrified, ran back to his semi-truck and fucking took off without Sally. In the meantime, while he's running back, that Leatherface guy had fallen and dropped his chainsaw, which landed right on his own leg and began to cut his leg just below the knee. Um, and at the same time, out of pure luck, while Sally had continued to, like, half-run, half-hop down the roadway, a man in a blue Chevy pickup uh, was passing by. He saw that she was in danger and was afraid to stop um, as Leatherface was beginning to get back up and chase after her again with his chainsaw. So he slowed down just enough so that Sally could, like, climb into the bed of his truck, and then he sped off. And in the rearview mirror, they watch him, like, swing the chainsaw around, the chainsaw around, like, in anger. Um, yeah, so... By this time, Sally is clearly exhausted from, like, recounting these events. She's clearly done telling the story. What was meant to be a road trip as a favor to her father ended up taking the four people she was closest to in the world away from her forever. Based on the number of bones and skeletons she saw, she assumed that there was no hope for any of them to have survived. Um, But Sally made it. Um, But she often hopes that she hadn't, as she had constant headaches nightmares and flashbacks sheriff schwartz thanked her for her time and for her bravery and told her that the full force of the williamson county sheriff's department along with the texas rangers would be executing a warrant and raiding the property behind the old hardesty house he had little hope that the others would be found alive either at this point but nevertheless those sawyer brothers needed to be apprehended tried and jailed for the rest of their lives So in the very early hours of August 7th, as promised, the Williamson County Sheriff's Office, in conjunction with the Texas Rangers, performed a raid on the Sawyer House. That uh, what they saw there would haunt every single one of those men for the rest of their lives. It wasn't difficult to find the oldest brother, Drayton. He was religiously at the gas station he owned and ran. And um, the Williamson County Sheriff, Sheriff Schwartz, and all of his deputies knew Drayton well. Um, He was the first to be taken into custody. 
The next was the grandfather, who basically looked like death warmed over. He was found sitting in his wheelchair in the living room with the TV on, just white snow showing on the screen, like literally just watching nothing, like the corpse that he is. Um, He was not arrested, but he was taken to a state-funded retirement home where he died within the week. The next brother to be arrested was not found on the property, but rummaging through trash at the old slaughterhouse. Guess who? Nubbin Sawyer, the hitchhiker. (laughs) He was was taken into custody and arraigned, and he was later found unable to see on trial due to mental incapacitation and sentenced to a mental health facility run by the state prison system. Finally, found among old junk cars that were hidden under brush and trash on the property behind the house was the leather-faced man. Someone that the local townspeople all thought had been committed a long time ago. They knew him better as Bubba, Bubba Sawyer. He was arrested and found to be criminally insane. He was sentenced to life in Texas State Sanitarium. Upon further inspection of the home, the things they found were unspeakable. The vehicles that were all hidden behind the old house matched the description and plate numbers of dozens of people that had been reported um, missing from all over Texas over the course of the last decade. The mask that Bubba Sawyer was wearing that looked like leather, um, he was wearing it when they arrested him, and it was found to be made of actual human face, as in he had skinned the face and head of another person, dried and tanned it, and wore it as a fucking mask. It still had the lips and eyebrows attached to it. Oh, God. That's gross. Yeah. He likely wore it in order to hide his own disfigured face, like, likely as a result of congenital defects. Inside the house, the depravity that was uncovered is indescribable. There was furniture, furniture upholstered in human skin. There were lampshades, dining room chairs, rugs, and other furniture all around the house that had been made out of a mixture of different human and animal pelts. Scattered all over the home were trinkets, dishes, chimes, and more, all made from a mixture of human and animal bones, just as Sally had described. There was even a crate full of human skulls. Some bones are unmistakably human, the skull and the femur, to name a few. And they, there were even fully articulated skeletons of humans all over the house. They located the two poorly preserved mummified corpses of old women in the rocking chairs, just as Sally said. They later found out that this was the boy's mother and grandmother who had died of natural causes between six and eight years prior. Fucking gross. Yeah. Um, In the basement of the house, however, was the most shocking scene. There were seven deep freezers lining the back wall, each containing frozen human bodies in various states of being butchered and processed like livestock. One of those bodies was determined to be Sally's brother, Franklin Hardesty, who had died from traumatic brain injury caused by a chainsaw. Laid across a metal medical-like table was Sally's friend, Kirk. His head had been cut off and each of his limbs had been removed as well. They were all laying on the table as if they were to be put back together again. Sally's boyfriend was found in the north side of the basement. His head and torso were sticking out of an industrial-grade meat grinder, which had likely been moved from the old slaughterhouse at some point. Half of him had been ground up. Finally, yeah, 
yeah that's gross i mean that only like leads the imagination to wonder finally pam was hanging from a meat hook overlooking kirk's body she was forced onto the hook through her back which punctured a lung and clipped her heart and she died a very slow and painful death as she watched her own boyfriend be disarticulated oh god yeah yeah when they were done going through the entirety of the house they had identified at least 40 different victims not including sally's friends they then moved on to the service station which was mostly normal except the meat smokehouse was still going and when an officer went in to see if there was a way to put out the fire he discovered that the meat that was being barbecued and served to the general public was actually human meat derived from the graves that had been robbed and victims of the sawyer family yeah it left the local officers reeling as drayton sawyer always competed in the annual chili cook-off and he realized that the entire town had probably consumed human meat from his chili. It's also fucked up when you think about it because when the kids stopped there, they got sausage. Yeah. And they were eating oh. it. Yeah. Isn't that so crazy? Yeah. It's fucked up. Oh my god. Yeah. So that's the Yeah. So that's the end of the story. But as you can imagine, um, it would never be the same again there. Those people would never be the same. Any thoughts? Just nightmares. That's, yeah. That's the shit. Yeah. I was just thinking as we were like talking or like we were, we were going through the story, I was like, we come up with like some of the most fucked up stories to talk about. Like, <laughs> I know. Cases. Like, what is wrong with us? <laughs> I like to tell the ones that are, like, less known, you know? Yeah. But, um, in the in the spirit of Halloween, this one is a trick, not a treat, guys, because this episode was actually adopted <laughs> from the 1974 quote classic Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So, basically, I just took the movie and turned it into a script for the show. So, that was actually a lot of fun. I really enjoyed doing it. <laughs> yeah, I was, like super excited because you know you had talked about it and i was super excited to hear what you were going to do with it and how it was going to turn out that was like really fun yeah it definitely makes for a good story like even in this format i think so that was fun yeah yeah that's fun i was like like i said i was wondering how this is going to turn out but you were talking about it and i was like oh this is going to be really cool yeah it's done like really well but yeah i'm I liked that. That was pretty good. Thanks. Thanks. I liked doing it. It was pretty easy because all you have to do really is just like watch the movie and pay attention to it. And then like I wanted to stay as true to like the movie as possible. So I actually went on and did some like research about like what town they were in and like what the characters' full names were. Mm -hmm. Um, And like like how far from like Austin was it and how far from Dallas and like what the hospital in that area was called even. Um, so that was fun. I did make yeah. some of it up to like fill holes, like the sheriff's name and mm-hmm. the kid in the pickup truck's name. Cause they were never given names. Hey guys, it's Courtney. I'm super sorry. Um, I went in to edit this episode and I'm not exactly sure what happened to our ending. Um, it was just not there. We recorded an ending. 
but it was not there. So I just decided I was going to cut it at the end of the story um, and then just do the outro for us. Um, so if you're hearing this next week, um, I'm going to be doing Ohio State Reformatory. We've already recorded that episode. Um, it was really fun to do. Um, so that's a haunted location with some haunted history. Um, and then Allison has another really good one that's going to be coming up the following week, which is on, um, the man who killed Halloween. So yeah, we have, we're continuing on with the momentum of Halloween. Um, so if you're hearing this, you know where to find us. We're on all streaming podcast sites. Uh, we also have an IG, and uh, that's Murd P Podcast, M U R D P Podcast. Um, the reason we don't have it all spelled out is because I think we got censored because um, it wasn't letting me create with that name. So that's where you can find our actual IG and then we have a link tree and you can go to and navigate to all of our other social medias. I have an IG, Allison has an IG. Um, I also have TikTok, all the other stuff. So you can just go to our link tree and navigate from there. Um, so yeah, that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Be good, make good choices. Don't murder people. Uh, See you next time. Bye.